expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Hard to believe we're at episode 140 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, and that's not the only reason that the feels are real, apparently, this week. No, the feels are real because I am, like everybody else in the world right now, addicted to Final Fantasy 15. You've literally openly wept pretty much every day this week, haven't you? I have. I have. I've tweeted out, I've posted on my Facebook and my Instagram, just... It's just, I mean, 10 years, man. Like, it's here. It's in my living room right now, you know? Like, it's it's real. Like, it's, it's finally real. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like being a kid and your dad goes to you or your mom and says, we're going to go to Disneyland. And you get all excited. And then the, the week of the vacation comes and something happens where Disneyland's not happening. And it happens repeatedly for 10 years. And then finally, <laughs> after 10 years, you finally get your Mickey Mouse ears on. And you're like, fuck yeah. You drove to Wally World for 10 straight years and they finally right. let you in. <laughs> right. right. You're giving gamers blue balls for 10 years, Square Enix, and you finally, finally, they had to push us back because it was supposed to come out, I think, like September or something like that, earlier in the fall. And they are like, oh, we had to push it back because if we don't, there's going to have to be a huge patch. And I'll say this, for anybody who doesn't have it yet, uh, for my PlayStation, it, it took about 50 minutes. It was about, the game itself took about 40 minutes to install. The patch, because I had the day one edition, it was about nine nine minutes. So you have about 50 minutes to install fully. But when it installs, I sent you screenshots, dude. It's fucking beautiful. And I'm going to you know, quickly highlight some things right now about it. Uh, to be honest, I've probably played less than 2% of the actual story mode <laughs> because the side quests in here, they're addicting because I'm addicting to leveling up. I'm addicting to addicted to getting my, my combat skills, everything else well, up. Final Fantasy for you. Yeah, but the thing is people will say, well, the side quests are repetitive or they are repetitive. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're doing side quests for a jeweler, they're going to consist of one thing, you know, which is travel here and defeat this thing or travel here and try to, you know, find this mineral or this, this amethyst or whatever, you Hello, know, it's like, welcome a, to final fantasy. Right. Exactly. I mean, come on. I mean, our boy Ray chase, a phenomenal job as Noctis. The voice acting is really good in this, uh, again, story wise. My only fear is that I haven't seen Kingsglaive, the movie that precedes the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm worried that there's going to be some things that are going to be talked about or characters introduced to where I'm going to be like, I feel like there's something missing here. And it's because I haven't watched the movie, so I hope that's not an issue. But other than that, the combat system's different. I mean, it's, it's totally overhauled. It's not the, you know, I attack and then I wait and you attack and then you wait. It's it's really free, it's free flowing. It's really tactical. Uh, you have to depending on certain level types of, of beasts and, and enemies, uh, you have to use certain chain attacks in order to defeat them. It's nice. really strategy driven. It's and I'm not gonna lie though, it's really nice to attack somebody with a broadsword for like four attacks and then finish them off and qu- by quickly hitting my D pad to the right and 
using my spear on them. Like, it's really, really, really fun. Visually, it's beautiful. I mean, the Chocobo races are, are of course, fun as hell. Overall, it's a fun game. Like, you know, it's just there's just so much to do. And that's what, the thing is that after you beat the story mode, whenever the hell that may be, because it's, it's just so immersive – and it's so uh, uh, long from what I, you know from just stuff I've read. It really is a game where you can do side missions and stuff like that. And what I like is the side quests. They tell you like, hey, if you're not this level, you might not want to go on this quest because you're gonna get your ass handed to you. Yeah. So so that caused you to do more of the story and stuff like that. So I, I like it so far. Again, I've only played played uh, probably two percent of the entire story itself. So. I can't give a full-on review before I've played so far. It's really, really fun. Really quickly, before we uh, move on to what we're reading, what would you think of the uh, cutscenes? You remember we were talking about all the cutscenes yes, are really short and all that, that stuff like that? Yeah, okay, so you know how if you haven't gone and listened to our interview with Ray Chase from Final Fantasy Force, he plays Noctis in the game. He talked about how the cutscenes, you know, they're like a minute, minute and a half. They're not like if you played The Order and, you know, where it looks like you're playing a movie in terms of like, you have like five minutes of gameplay, but then you have like a ten minute cutscene. The cutscenes in this, Ray was absolutely right. They are like thirty seconds to I think I haven't like really counted, but the longest it seems like about a minute, minute thirty if That's that. Not bad at all. Cutscene, but it's like there's a. It's not like you're you're you know you're getting a little bit of gameplay and there's a huge cutscene. It's like again, it's like. 30 seconds to a minute, and then boom, you're right back into the game. It really does a good job cutting in and out of the cutscenes, so you're not, like, getting, you know, jagged one way or the other and stuff like that. And, again, you're not really sitting on your floor, like, with your, you know, fist under your chin, like, okay, I'm ready to play again because, again, it's – you know, about a minute each, and then you're you're good. Like like Ray was totally right about that, and I and I actually want to commend Square Enix for that because it's fun to play a game where I'm not sitting there like, okay, <laughs> you know, I feel like you know right. this whole be- you know it's, it's it's frustrating nowadays when there's these beautiful cutscenes, but they're like five ten minutes long, and you're like, yeah, that's a beautiful cutscene, but it would have been better if I could have played it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nope. it's like they're robbing you of the experience of actually playing that scene, you know? Right, but I mean, overall, man, it's it's a fun game, and I mean, I can't wait to play more of it, you know? And, and, and I feel bad, like, I feel like I'm cheating on League of Legends. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like, it's Final Fantasy XV! <laughs> With all due respect to League, I mean, League will be there. You've been waiting for the sucker for a long time. I think that it's okay to, uh, you know, kind of move over a little bit and, and split your time. I feel like I've uh, dropped League off at like my like my my cousin's house, and I dr- get in this new car of Final Fantasy fifteen. I drive off, and League just turns to my my cousins like he's coming back, right? Like like he's he's not leaving me. He's now coming you, you back. Dro- you dropped League off at winter camp. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. So so League is making you know reindeers out of popsicle sticks and stuff like that while you play Final Fantasy. And once you're over it, you'll come back to League and be like, "Look what I made you, Daddy!" And they uh, gave you that, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, man. But I mean, overall though, it's 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 a fun game. And hey, Square Enix, you have a really good hit in your hands. But coming up next, we have two new comics that we're going to discuss. What we're reading is coming up next. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, nerds, it's time we pull out our long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. And James, your book this week, you read a book about two of the most strongest women, I think, in nerd and geek culture. Absolutely. And going back to the 70s, because we've got Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman. It's kind of a joint effort between DC Comics and Dynamite, which, you know, we've been looking forward to for a long time. Man, there are a lot of people that are working on this book. does have just one writer, though, Andy Mangles, and then the art is by Judith Tondora. Now, two colorists on this book, Mark Michael Bartolo and Stuart Chaffetz, and then letters, two letters as well, Tom Orzakowski and Louis Bahalas. And man, did I get through those names without a scratch. Yay, me! <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I love the way the way this book starts out. Because it kind of gives you a side-by-side origin, like a literal, like, quick origin. If you were to do the Cliff Notes version of the origins of these two characters, they have them side-by-side. Which I think that's really neat if you don't really know anything about the characters. And plus, it looks exactly like what you remember from the 70s. Which is one of the things that I love the most about this book. It literally transports you back to both shows. So is that going from the art style as well? Absolutely. I mean, Wonder Woman and, of course, you've got Diana Prince in here as well. Looks exactly like they're pulled right from the show. The same thing with Jamie Summers. I mean, it's just, it's so visually 70s that it's absolutely ridiculous. And the Invisible Jet makes an appearance. I don't think that's a spoiler because it was heavily used in the actual Wonder Woman 77 series anyway. So I definitely wouldn't consider that a spoiler. I mean, it jumps right in action-wise. It did a, There's no, hey, let's wait for them to get together. Let's wait until the middle of the book or the end of the book for them to finally meet each other. First page, right there. There they are working together. So I like that they jump right in because, you know, a lot of books like this have a tendency to kind of drag on. And then they finally meet up together. It was, it was nice to just have them right there on the first page together, saving people. Well, not just that, but whenever you have certain crossovers, what they do is in comics and really literature, even TV as well, you have this kind of world-building concept to where it's like you have them meet, you have some sort of thing where they don't know about each other, but they're you know they're on a mission together or whatever, and they don't know if they can trust one another, but they got to build to trust it. And then here it seems like you just throw them right into the mix together. There's no awkwardness at all really it's just here's who she is here's who this person is go you know and i like that i like they just seem like they throw you right into the mix of things they don't waste time beating around the bush and and and, because i think part of it is as well the people they know that the people who are reading this i'm talking about dynamite and even the people who worked on the book they know that okay, Wonder Woman seventy seven, you know Linda Carter, you know, and yet Bionic Woman, like you know, this is geared more towards an older audience, people who grew up with these franchises, you know. Right, exactly, and and there's a and there's a part of this book where where Jamie says to uh, Wonder Woman, "I know who you are. Here's who I am," kind of thing. So it was really neat. It's like okay, so it's kind of like they exist in the same world, kind of thing, which. You would kind of hope that they would anyway, but there is there is a point to this, and it's funny because you see Diana Prince meet Jamie as well, and there's a, don't I know you from somewhere kind of moment there, <laughs> so I thought that, that was really funny, but I mean, the, the misogyny of the era towards yeah. women, that's a part of this book as well, because it's a, one of the 
dickhead guys in the in one of the intelligence agencies and said, oh, I'm glad you ladies could join us, or I thought you might have broken a heel or something. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I... So it gets uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? That was the era, so you got to kind of make that part of it. Yeah, and I think that that's important as well. And I think that's something important – uh, for for all readers, both male and female readers who are reading a book in a series like this to where you had to have that in there because it really hits hard and it really hits on an emotional level. And, I, and it adds a level of emotions as well because of the misogyny era. I mean, we, we you know when we watched Agent Carter, you know, there are times where you saw the way the men were treating her and you're like, oh, come on, guys, that's not cool. You know, like, or like you know, it's like, you know, it's just like. That's what it was back then, you know. It was it was it a right thing? Absolutely not. But it's it's history, and it's important to have that stuff in there because, you know, it's important to. That's part of the cultural aspect of that right. era. Whenever you're doing an era that's you know, thirty forty years ago, you're going to have those those things, and they're going to be for most parts they're going to be focal points as well. And I think that I commend the people on this book for for doing that because I think it's really important to to show that. Absolutely, you you have to do that, and and basically the way all these intelligence agencies are meeting because they said there's a threat to democracy, and basically there's a there's a character in here that's you know that's causing some some havoc. I don't really want to give away what's going on or what they're doing because you know you want to read the book and you want to be surprised for yourself. But I will say that as this mission goes on, where uh, Diana and Jamie team up together you do see someone from wonder woman canon pop up in here and i can tell you who it is you also see some stuff from of course bionic woman canon as well and then you fast forward to the end of the book something happens that kind of changes the game a little bit you're not sad when it happens but it does happen so it's a very interesting book dude and again it just dynamite knows nostalgia so well we've said that so many times and it continues to be true they give you a nice little cliffhanger at the end this book is basically everything you wanted it to be so it's a pull for me man i'm just so happy that it turned out as good as it did well my book this week james i did savage number one from valiant now it's written by b clay moore the Art is done by Louis LaRosa and Clayton Henry. Colors are done by Brian Reber. And letters are done by Dan Lanfear of A Larger World. Now, I will say this. Anytime you have a comic that opens up with your main character punching an Allosaurus in the throat, you have my attention. (laughs) Now, if only they'd have started Jurassic World that way, you might have liked it more. (laughs) Right. Well, no, because the kid still didn't die. Yeah, but but the uh, I'll start off with the art in this, and the first page. I will say this: it's really beautiful. It looks kind of like cover art, really, like an old school. Some you might see expect to see have a dynamite comic actually. It's a cover art. Now, when you get to the the past, because this is broken up, it's told in two ways. It starts off in present day. And then it goes into the past and sets up what happens pretty much in the story. The past panels are done totally different in a different art style. And they're not bad. It's still really good. Um, if, you read, if you're reading stuff like from other stuff from Valiant like Faith or even Generation Zero, the art style is more like that. Okay. And it's not a bad thing. I think the reason why the art style is done two different ways was because this is called Savage. And so, you know, the 
art in the beginning of the book, the first few pages, are to show that kind of that savage nature, if you will, that 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 jungle esque feel, that wild man feel, and then the past is more like things are starting to be kind of under control and everything else. So without further ado, here's what the story is. So the story takes place. There is a soccer player whose last name, of course, is Savage, and he and his wife, who's a model, are traveling to America because his soccer career over in England is over with. So he's pretty much pulling a David Beckham, per se. Well, their plane crashes, and they find an island, so it's very kind of lost thing, and they have a baby with them as well. And you find out that the island they're on really isn't the most safest place because you find out, as you do in the beginning of the book, there are prehistoric creatures roaming the island. And it's not a good place for a man, a woman, and a baby. You know, based <laughs> on this and Kong Skull Island, I never want to be crashing <laughs> on a deserted island anywhere ever. I mean, you don't really want to, but this didn't happen to the Swiss Family Robinson. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Next thing you know, James, want to go to Hawaii? Fuck you. <laughs> no, I do not. I'm not crossing any oceans anytime soon at this point. But pretty much it, the, the book centers around the father and the mother. And, again, this is, this is one of those things where it's like you have a future event and then you have the past events that lead up to it. So it's, it's a story that's built and told in reverse. And the while the mother is more of the realist, like we're crashed here on an island, you know, the father is really being upbeat to the point where you're like – you have to look at him like, okay, dude, I know you're trying to get – People's spirits high. I know it's just the three of you, but you know, tone it down a little bit, kind of thing. Like, you know, it, it's just you know, he's like, I bet like, he's going to the point where he's like, I bet on the other side of those trees, there's like a resort area, and there's like a you know, a king size bed for both of us, and everything else. And you know, it's one of those things where it's like he's trying to keep his hopes up, but it's kind of annoyingly keeping his hopes up. I think that's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. But overall, this thing what it does really well is from the moment the plane crashes, even really in the beginning of the book, the danger feels real. And what this, as the series goes on, if you read the synopsis, this is a story about the family and how they go crazy after 15 or so years on the island. Huh. And so you're going to see that, you know, synapses, you know, misfiring and, you know, and people can be at each other's throats and stuff like that. And it's going to be really cool because it's a, it's a bottle comic is what it really feels like. Cause you're putting these people on a certain, you know, sandbox, if you will, in this case, an Island. And you have these creatures that are trying to kill them. And then that's going to cause people to go nuts and everything else. So overall, I think what's going to happen is just from the beginning of the book, um, I think what's going to happen is something's going to happen to the parents or whatever, and the son's going to grow up, and he becomes this this you know jungle boy, if you that will. Sounds about right, yeah. And and so I mean, I think in all honesty, again the just from again the island, they're already kind of at each other's throats. The mom and the dad are. I remember I was watching a documentary. I was watching an interview with John Carpenter, and he said it best. He said there's two types of evil. There's the evil out there, you know, it's out in the wilderness, and then there's the evil that's inside of you. He's like, and that's the type of evil he's like that 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 interests me the most. Yeah, there you go. And that's what interests me the most is, oh my God, is the mom gonna snap? Is the dad gonna snap? Right. Is the 
Is the baby just going to grab a vodka bottle and shiv the dad in the side of the stomach? Who? What's going to happen? I don't know. Tries to break the bottle and then realizes, damn it, it's plastic. I can't break this and cut you with it. <laughs> right? But, I mean, overall, man, is, it, it, the tension in this is really well done. The, the art's great. Uh, this is a definite pull for me. So, again, Savage number one from Valiant. This is, without a doubt, something that has the potential to be one of the most, I think, tension-filled series I've read in a while. I've been looking forward to reading that one too. It was the second I saw it in the in the uh, in the solicits. I'm like, this sounds like a, a book that I would be interested in. So I'm glad to hear that it's a good one. Well, from Islands to Riverdale, we are traveling too because coming up next it's this week in Geek Tainment, and we have our first footage from, of course, a new Archie comics related show on the CW called Riverdale. We're going to discuss it next on a Down Nerdy podcast. This is writer Peter Milligan. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's not a double digest of Geek Tamment this week, but we are going to be talking Archie for maybe the first time ever on this show because Riverdale is going to be coming. Yeah, of course, Riverdale is going to be the new CW show, and of course it surrounds the Archie comics and is really inspired by them. You know, my dad actually grew up reading the Archie comics. I haven't really read a lot of Archie growing up. What about you? Have you been an Archie fan or what? I did. I admitted I've fallen out of it, obviously, and even recently. I haven't read too much of the Wade run either, which I know people are digging right now, but it's very different. And yeah, Let's face it, Archie's been around for a long time for a reason, and when I was younger, yeah, I definitely read some, some Archie comics, and you know, I, I like Jughead as well, so... I mean, I understand why they're doing this. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised it's taken this long. Well, because Jughead ate all the time, so that's why you like him so well, much. Well, you know, i got to eat. You, you have that common bond with him. That is true. But, of course, we're talking about the new 30-second promo the CW released for Riverdale. And first thing you notice, it's a lot darker than a lot of Archie stuff you might know. Yeah, I mean, I know that they've done, like, Archie versus Predator or Mutant right. Predator or something like that. <laughs> This doesn't seem like the same thing. I mean, by darker you mean I mean it's just got that feel to it. I mean, when you've seen that, when you've seen the promo, and and it definitely has that CW sexy edge too. Yeah, let's just say Archie with abs. When you say CW feel, what you're really saying is there's shots of dudes with just packs on packs of abs. And then you've got Betty and Veronica and their sexy bass. <laughs> right. <and> then, <laughs> It's like, okay, I the heart-shaped sunglasses, it's, I get that. That was a nice little nod, but come on. Yeah, it has that high school B-film feel to it. And, uh, you know, watching the 30 seconds, I mean, it was not a whole lot. I mean, it's not like a full-on no. trailer, so we don't know what's going on. We do see some, you know, police tape showing on. So maybe, you know, from what I'm guessing, it's going to be a little bit kind of like maybe Vampire Diaries. Just from the, just more from an aesthetic feel and look to it, uh, to possibly mix with maybe a little bit of supernatural mixed with uh, possible um, Twin Peaks. I got a Buffy vibe. Actually. Did you? I got a little bit of a Buffy vibe, and I don't know if it was just the surroundings or what, but I, I got. I mean, and maybe they, it's because that they've been looking for something to fill that void. I think for a while. Well, now. well, because I think you say the Buffy, the Buffy vibe because you know Angel as well and Charm because you know it's on. The CW, which used to be you know, in WB Network right. and UPN as well. So, it, you know, it, it has that kind of feel and that, and that look to it, I think, because it has, as you mentioned, it's, it feels like that the predecessors before it. Again, not a lot, whole lot is known about what's going on. Nobody even speaks. Right. Nobody so even speaks. It's, it's, hard. Just, it's just, you know, 
tons of footage and that's it pretty much for 30 seconds. The abs speak for themselves. <laughs> each 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 ab has a certain voice to it, a certain power. It's like Hollywood well. squares with abs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take upper left to block. <laughs> And somehow Whoopi Goldberg or, or some comedians just like inside right, the exactly. abs. <laughs> it's like a fourth wall break. What are you doing in there, Ellen DeGeneres? <laughs> <laughs> I don't belong here. But I mean, you know, overall, again, it's not really a whole lot we can speculate because again, we haven't seen uh, a trailer for it. And I expect we're going to get one within. I would say we're heading into December, so within the next couple of weeks. Hey, it premieres on January twenty sixth. They better get with right. it. Right. Either, <laughs> either that, or it's just a big secret that they don't want to let out of the right, bag. Right. But I mean, overall, I think that you know, before we really can can we can really dive into you know what's going on. Here's let's just do this. What do you, as somebody who's read Archie, what do you? expect and hope to see out of Riverdale. One thing I, I do like that they're doing it a little bit different. I'm not going to lie. I like that they're going to go away from, from what the you know the strips and the double digest and stuff used to do. What I, what I hope they don't lose is the humor element. I don't want it to be forced either, you know, because when you see dark stuff like this, it tends to be forced sometimes and it doesn't quite land and it kind of disappoints you. I think you've got to have the humor element in this. I mean, you see Jughead for a couple minutes in this promo, and it's like he's a little bit, he's a little bit of a tough guy. And I'm like, I don't know. So I'm a little worried about that. So I hope that they at least have that. But at the same time, because it's a series, you got to give me a good story, and it's got to grab me at the get. I'm not saying that I, I'm thinking that this is going to be a bad show, and I don't know if it's going to grab me. But if you're going to do this and you're going to do it differently, you better have a good story because if you don't. It's not going to matter whose name is on the jacket. I, I want to kind of highlight what you just said about the, the humor in this because, you know, if you've watched this 30-second clip and if you've brought up on Riverdale, it's going to have that darker feel to it. I think, so I think a lot of the humor in this is going to be really witty humor. I think it's going to be kind of dry humor in a sense as well. Which I'm down for. Uh, I, I don't think it's not – again, it's not going to be the goofy – you know, Jughead and, and Archie right. comic strips. You know, this is something a little bit more serious. I think, honestly, this is something that CW uh, was expected them to do because it's just from all the other programming they have, whether it be Arrow, iZombie, Flash, you know, they have that kind of center sense of seriousness with a little bit of humor in it. I think, if anything, it will. It could be kind of like Flash-esque humor, maybe, possibly. I hope so. It's just that... I, you kind of got the Batman versus Superman feeling right. here, where it's they're trying. Nobody's to be too smiling. Serious. Yeah, they're trying to be too serious for their own good, kind of thing, or you know, and and focusing on the, the sexiness aspect a little bit because I guess it's CW and that's well, what they do. I, I, I mean, know. I think that's a play on the high school drama effect that I think it's supposed to have. Well, on I mean, this. but they tried nine hundred two and zero. That didn't really work. I mean, right. I think it ran like five seasons, but still, it didn't really work. And the original Beverly Hills nine hundred two and I'm dating myself here. Right. Uh, it, that that worked the way they did that. They mixed my, everything really well, and that's why people loved it at the time. My only fear, I think, this comes from more from an, an aesthetic point of view, as you mentioned, Batman vs Superman. Just judging from what we've seen. 
I fear that a lot of the color is going to be fleshed out. Yes, God, yes. And what what do you think when you think of Archie? You think color. Yes, you think color, humor, and obviously there's not going to be jalopies laying about right. and stuff like that. I get that, but you're absolutely right. I think that's important as well, going back to the humor aspect of this, is that I think it'd be nice where, like, if this doesn't take itself too seriously, where kind of to use a Deadpool kind of point of view, it knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it doesn't take itself too seriously, and I mean, it, it knows what's the source material it's based on. Uh, but I, I look at this like, yeah, I look at the aesthetic point of view and how this is shot. And you know, again, my fear is when you see something that that's void of color, it, it's going to tend to make things, bring things down from an attitude perspective. Uh, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect how lines are, are delivered. It's going to affect. Uh, storytelling, you know, we want a good story and, and something that, that that sticks with us. But again, people need to be able to get over the fact of, oh my God, nobody's smiling. Oh my God, this is, feels like very, very gray. Because going back to Batman vs Superman, that was one of the big problems with it was it was too gray. Nobody's smiling. There's not a bit of, of hope or, or light in this. And again, you know, you hope that there's a little bit of humor interjected uh, within some of the lines and some of the certain scenarios and cases. T- totally. I mean, you have to have that. I mean, and I understand doing something different because I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. But then, like, imagine like if Dead Mouse did a electronica version of Imagine by John Lennon. <laughs> it's just, it's not gonna work. Okay, so. Doing it, and say, well, I want, I wanted to think outside the box. Well, that's a, that's a little too outside the box. So I'm just hoping that they're not going. Man, we're gonna reinvent Archie. We're gonna do Riverdale. We're gonna do it our way. You have to. You can't do something as iconic as Archie and not give the diehard fans a little bit of something. Do it different, fine. But you've got to still capture the essence. And I'm worried that because of what you're saying and the devoid of color, and I know it's a 30-second promo, and how much can you find out in 30 seconds? Right. But that's this is what you presented to us. This right. is what you're giving us. So this is your first impression. So the first impression you're giving me is it's going to be darker and it's going to be that much different. So if you go too different... You're going to turn off some of the fans that you're trying to attract and, in the first place. And something that can kind of, and honestly, something we haven't talked about, because uh, I don't think we have we know how long each episode is going to be, but something that could affect it as well is that if an episode is going to be 40 minutes to an hour long, you know, I think this is might be a type of show that works better in a half-hour format. Not only that, you, I mean, you think about Archie's and how it's quick hits, right. you know, and sometimes, again, the double digest, you'd get, you know, quick stories. And with this, yeah, if you're going for 42, 45 minutes, that's, you got to keep their, their attention. And yeah. I'm not saying they can't do that because, you know, TV series people, and especially the CW's had a lot of success with being able to keep their audience and, and doing what they need to do to do that. But still, I mean, when every show you've got basically is an hour long, and this is not really the format that you usually have here, yeah, that could be a problem too. But speaking of outside the box, we're going to move on to Nerd News come next. And, well, again... Speaking outside the box, Alpha 5 has a new look, and it's very outside the box. We're going to talk about that and more with Nerd News, which is coming up next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's that time we pull out our power coins and we go into the command center and see what's trending, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And as mentioned at the tail end of Geek Tamit, you know, I'm a huge Power Ranger fan, and I think people, a lot of people say, you know, one of the most annoying characters in Power Rangers was Alpha 5. I like Alpha 5, but I gotta say this, and you know, we talked about the fact that the Power Rangers movie, the reboot, 
they want to make it more alien. They want to give it kind of more sci-fi, darker feel to it. So with that comes changes to certain characters. So, for example, Rira Pulsa, they, they showed new photos of her. I like We talked about earlier when it was first shown what she's going to look like a while back. We liked that. The fact that if she, you know, who knows? Could she be a, a fallen, you know, Green Ranger herself? Is that why she has the Green Ranger power coin in her staff? Could be. Could be. We don't know. Because, again, the Green Ranger hasn't been cast. We don't know who. Or maybe hey, he has been cast. We just don't know who it's going to be. But, again, we don't know how it's going to unfurl. But something we do know, going back to Alpha 5, is he's got a new look as well. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. It looks like the robot from Short Circuit fucked the frog. It looks like the Enterprise has a goiter and you flip it upside down <laughs> and put it on as a hat. I mean, you, what is the deal, man? I mean, what they do? Tape two flashlights to a bedpan? I don't understand <laughs> why they decided to go with this look. <laughs> and I'll say this. I will lend some light, some positivity on this because Bill Hader is voicing Alpha 5. I think he's going to do a, 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 good, a great job, I think. Uh, especially when you pair him up with Zordon and, and Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah. I think that that's going to be a good pairing. I, I re- think the reason why the, he has the headlights for eyes is because when you're doing something with is more likely, I mean, he doesn't have a mouth, but I mean, when you do something where you're mo-capping somebody's eyes, you're doing that kind of facial puzzle recognition thing, you have to have kind of a, a, a guide as to where their eyes are going to be. Mm. So I think that, you know, there, that, that's why they have him look like that. I think that it could have been easier to give him a little bit more updated look of himself. But I think, again, this is, you know, you're, they're changing the look of the Zords. They're changing the look of a lot of characters and stuff like that, even the suits and everything else. So, again, you know, I think had they kept Alpha 5 the same, I think that the fans who, like myself, grew up with this and the older version of him would be like, okay, cool. But I think, you know, in a sense you need to update him. Uh, I will say this, that the reason why they did the update, I think that this is what we're getting, is because if you go back to the show, you go back to the movie in the 90s, that was a person in a suit. So you can have the movements, you can have right. kind of that, that look. You know, you don't have to worry about where the person's eyes are going to be. But when you're doing 3D motion capture, uh, you, you have to see where the person's eyes are going to be. So you're going to have to have something with eyes. And again, we're, you know, who knows? Maybe they might not be eyes. Maybe those are just like headlights he has. Could who be. Knows? I mean, you made everything else different. You might as well make this different too. I'm just not sure this is the kind of different we want. But I understand your point, and I think it's a good one about, you know, you're doing mo-capture and you're doing CG, so you want to be able to get a little bit. But it doesn't it make you appreciate R2-D2 even more, though? <laughs> what they were able to do with R2-D2... Basically, this is a, you know, the head move back and forth, yeah, sure. And he would rock back and forth <laughs> and to get really excited. But, you know, it kind of makes you appreciate well, how you can bring emotion with a character like that well, that yeah. didn't really have eyes or anything. Well, yeah, I mean, hey, let's take a little man, let's put him inside of a, a trash can and have him wheel himself around Exactly. The it's like if somebody locked Oscar the Grouch in and he just decided, <laughs> hey, I'm just going to make the best of this. Right. Uh, but, again, before we move on to our next story, I, I think that just something about this is that, again... We've seen photos. We've seen, you know, Rita in action for, for the looks trailers. Great. Looks amazing. She looks like a she 
really looks like a otherworldly alien witch type of a thing. Yep. And if they do go the route where, yeah, she was a former Green Ranger, because again, her suit has those open slices in it, so it's like, maybe her suit got damaged, and she's wearing excess of that. You know, again, she looks like she has, like, the gold inside of her her face. Maybe her mask, like, melted into her face or something like that. There was, like, an accident or something. Very Game of Thrones-esque of it. Right, very much so. You know, maybe... If they did a thing where, unlike in the show, where like you know Rita was trapped for years and she was you know unearthed pretty much, if they did it to where, yeah, Rita was a former Green Ranger. There was an accident that happened. Remember, the Rangers in the show were not the first Rangers. Zordon's been having Rangers for eons, pretty much. And you know, if they had to where Rita was like part of an accident or like her crew died and she blamed Zordon for that and she became evil, that'd be pretty amazing for a twist. Well, as long as Zordon didn't go all Dothraki on it, would be, uh, <laughs> I, I hope that that's not what we're dealing with, the darker side of Zordon. But no, I mean, I think that that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. I mean, even if it's not that, I mean, I still think that she's going to be absolutely phenomenal and the look looks good. So far, that's the best part for me. Yeah. From what we've seen so far... Rita's the uh, Elizabeth Banks is the best and, part, and finally, I hope that we we don't see the Zords. I don't probably see the Zords in the trailer, uh, but I really hope that they keep those as a surprise. We know what the toys are going to look like, but I mean, I, I want an action. I want to wait to to be in theater. Yeah, and, see and don't it. give us the Mega Zord in the trailer. Yeah, please don't. If you're going to give us the Zords in the trailer, just give them a separate Zords. Don't give yeah. us the Mega Zord. And really quick, you know, like quick hits kind yeah. of thing. Uh, but going into our next segment, and we're going. From Power Rangers to the world of video games. And what I want to talk about, of course, one of the most premier fighting games, I think, of all time is the Marvel vs. Capcom thing. Sure. Of course, but remember, that series started out as X-Men versus Capcom, or X-Men versus Street And fighting. in arcades, too, by the way. Let's not forget about our lovely arcades right. that we used to have. Right. So when, this is just a rumor, but according to Polygon and a couple of other sources... Marvel vs. Capcom 4 looks to be happening. It's actually expected to be announced at PSX. And a big news thing about that, and a big rumor is, while the Marvel side will be composed mostly of MCU characters, the X-Men will not be in the game. See, here's my thing. Why do this? At all. Like, at all. Why do... Seriously, why do this at all? Do we need... Marvel versus Capcom 4, especially if you're not going to use the X-Men. I mean, and you can't say, oh, we're not going to use the X-Men, but Wolverine's going to be in it. No. No. You can't do that. You're either going to use the X-Men or you're not. And does that mean they're just going to push push the Inhumans in there? Well, Are the Inhumans just well, going to be the replacement that. for the X-Men all the time well, now? Well, remember, Deadpool's technically an X-Men, so is that right. Deadpool's not going to be in? Right. He, was in, he was in three. So, I mean, and, and honestly, a Marvel vs. Capcom game without the X-Men is kind of like a Marvel vs. Capcom game without Street Fighter. Right, and maybe they won't be in it either for all Don't you shut your whore mouth. Well, I'm the, yeah, I'm the one sitting over here saying, why do this at all? Do we need a Marvel vs. Capcom 4? Seriously, I'm I mean, actually asking. <laughs> I mean, why not? But because we, we've had so many good ones already. I mean, Marvel's, they could royally I mean, screw I mean, this up. I mean, to me, the pinnacle of the franchise of Marvel vs. Capcom two that was because I used to I used to rock what I called the Beam Team, which was Cable, Cyclops, and Ryu, because all their powers were beams and Cable. Right. You know, I will admit, I will admit, I was a little troll gamer when I was. Mind you, I was like eleven years old, twelve years old. But I would sit in the back part of the corner with Cable, hit back and B, and have him fire his fucking pistol over and over again. Same thing with Cyclops and his optic blast. Hey, we all have our moments in our games where we right. do stuff like that. I totally get it. I mean, I I was never a huge Cyclops fan, like, in general. Right. But every time I played Marvel vs. Capcom, oh. I, you could bet that Cyclops was on my team. Yeah, exactly. 
He was one of the best characters. But I mean, you look at this game again. Say it does get announced, and say say you know what the X Men aren't going to be in this. Is this more Fox saying we're not going to help Marvel out, or is this Marvel saying? F you to Fox. I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I think it's because they want to make it MCU characters, which is fine. Do that. But you really, you're not going to capitalize on Deadpool right now. You're not going to capitalize on what's going to be probably a reinvented X-Men franchise. You've got a chance here. But if, if, if your idea is to go all in on Inhumans now... To me, that to me that's a risk because everybody always shouts from the rooftops. Oh, we're gonna get an human you, movie. You gotta get an human show, and then you're probably not gonna watch then, it, and you're not gonna buy it. But with it. that, you get a plethora more of people saying, "Really, the Inhumans aren't the X Men? Come on, Marvel, stop trying to make the Inhumans happen." Now, I will say this: and this is why this is a rumor that has to be tread lightly because we all know. X-Men Blue and Gold are coming out as well. True. So we got some new X-Men titles coming out. So maybe they'll say, you know what? Well, we're going to have the X-Men in here, of course. You know, I mean, we got these new X-Men comics coming out. Why wouldn't we? Not only that, but I think that the Marvel's been trying to make the Inhumans the new X-Men for a while now. Right. And it's never worked, but they are not going to stop trying because they want a... They want an X-Men for a new generation. The X-Men were for the generation of the 90s, people like yourself. So now the people that are getting a little older, the other millennial crowd that's getting a little over and past, older and past that, the younger crowd that's coming up now, they want to give them their X-Men. They're trying to make it the Inhumans, and it's failing miserably because kids, 13, 12, 13-year-olds 13 aren't necessarily relating right. to the Inhumans. I'm not saying the Inhumans suck and we shouldn't have them at all. I like not all of them and some of them, but that's true of the X-Men as well. But I can tell you right now, I, I love a lot more of the X-Men characters than I do the Inhumans. Well, I think makes, and this is going strictly from what got me into comics in the first place, X-Men has really, really got me into comics in the first place because of all, you know, again, growing up with one arm, physical hand disability and handicaps, being seen as different, I m melded with them. I'm like, these are like exactly treated in a sense how I feel like I was treated growing up. So there's that, that reason why I'm like, I love the X-Men so much. So for them to not be part of a Marvel game, a, a Marvel franchise, is really sad. And I think it's honestly... Both sides are to blame, I think, because both sides, I think, are, it's kind of petty if you really think about it. But it's gonna, it's been petty for years, and it's gonna continue to be petty. I mean, what, look at Feige came out and said, "Yeah, there's not gonna be an X-Men Avengers crossover anytime soon in the MCU and with, and with Fox because nobody seems to want to play ball," kind of thing. That was the gist of it, anyway. Right. And and you go, well, that's fine. That's kind of what we expected because we know you guys just can't share. It's like the kid, uh, the kids on the playground, they can't share the ball. They've got a, you know, one one kid's got to be a dick and run off with it kind of thing. And right. You can decide who that dick is for your own. I mean, everybody's got their different opinions, but it just seems like we could get so much and so much great stuff if we could just if they could just learn to get along and just get along in general. I don't think it's really ever going to happen, but look at how many things it's starting to affect now, especially since we're going to shove MCU into the video game world now. Right, exactly. And going to our last story, we're going from the video game universe to the library. And, of course, you know, something last week we talked about what we were thankful for. One of the things you said you were thankful for was DC Rebirth and how, you know, it's, it's, they've breathed new life into these classic characters, bringing them back to their old school ways. Well, now, thankfully, DC Rebirth is coming to libraries for free. 
Yeah, and it's going to be with Hoopla, which I mean they've got movies and other stuff like that, yep. and they do and they do ebooks. So DC's kind of partnered with them before. I know Dark Horse does. Dark Horse Image Valiant. Does. Yeah, so. Basically, you're going to be able to quote unquote borrow right. from the library and get the DC titles, like the trade, the first trade. It's not like an issue, right? I mean, DC the Rebirth specials up there right now. If you've got the hoopla, right? For example, like if you're a Green Arrow fan, they're going to have Volume One, you know, the Death of Oliver Queen. Yep. You know, and, and so they're going to have pretty much the first arcs of their. Rebirth, which is smart on them because that's what gets you in the first place, you know. And going back to Awesome Con, we talked to our buddy Tom King, and he said, you know, the first act's going to be this, second act's this, yep. third act's this. And the first act of a lot of these series has been wonderful. So I think, you know, again, we can't stress this enough to not only support your local comic book shops, but also support your local libraries as well. Absolutely. And, and i got to say this. Usually when you have something that's a huge success... Right. Which DC Rebirth has been. I don't care if they, you're a Marvel well, apologist no, no, or what they, you they, are. They, and this is fact. They've knocked Marvel from the number one spot for a while. Right. You can be a fan of whatever you want to be. It's time to admit that DC Rebirth has been a gigantic success. But usually when something's a success like that, you don't see it given away for free, basically. Right. Now, granted, and, you still have to have the app and all that good right. stuff. But they're, they're giving you the first arcs. For nothing, basically. Right. Who does that? And, and when I say number one and knocking Marvel off, I mean in sales. It's been proven that they've right. been number one in sales for a long time right. since Rebirth started. And, again, this is important to announce because this is at no cost to the person who goes to the library. The library right. is paying for this themselves. Right. And so I think it's wonderful, again, you can't stress it enough. Um, you know, some of my fondest memories were going with my mom to the library. You know, you know when she was in doing her studies and stuff like that. I go look at books or play them. They had the computers there with learning software on them. I play those. I actually read a lot of Mad Magazine over there, you go. there, there you uh, go. growing up. You didn't have to read it on the long stick, <laughs> right? But uh, no, well, the library was actually where I went to elementary school. I went to Porter, and this is for people who live in Syracuse, New York. the The Hazard Branch Library is literally. Like, right across from it. I will say that the library that they had in my middle school was pretty epic. I mean, it actually... It almost seemed like it was an underground library for some reason. Yeah. Like, you didn't know it was there, and then you went in, and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is huge. Where where is this? Where am I right now? And then I I think one of the more... uh, The the library I had in elementary school... It was it was separated in two things. You had the one section when for the the kids, you know, when I, you know, because it was it went grades K or pre K through six. So you know, you're a little kid. They say, okay, you can get take a book out. You know, your library was quote unquote a class. Correct. So you get like a Dr. Seuss book. I remember one of my favorite kids' books growing up was a Stinky Cheese Man. I don't know if anybody's remember wow, that book. Okay, all right, <laughs> explains a lot. It was it, it's pretty much for people who haven't read it. It's pretty much like. Uh, a, a satirical take on fairy tales. For example, instead of Princess and the Pea, it's Princess and the Bowling Ball. Ah, I gotcha. So stuff like that. Uh, you know, Stinky Cheese Man is like a gingerbread man. You know, run, run, run as fast as you can. You can't All catch right. me on Stinky okay. Cheese Man. Now it makes sense. So it, it's kind of like a twisted take uh, on that, but for kids. Uh, but, you know, then when you get older, you got to go in the adult version. Now, mind you, this was a Catholic school. Oh, boy. But the adult were, version. Were there beads to get through to there? <laughs> Yeah, there were rosary beads hanging. You kind of looked through one them. way and the other, and you're like, I'm going yeah, in. You had to dip your hand in the holy water, you know. Nobody's and, looking. I'm going in. <laughs> right. But, no, I mean, that's where they had all, like, the the, uh, the encyclopedias, the dictionaries. They had the Hardy Boys books. You think it's going to be exciting? You go, ah, damn it. 
This lousy Britannica. Yeah. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> they have Miss Britannica of 20, you know, 1993. Where is all the adult stuff? What is this Life magazine? <laughs> Come on. What the hell are the Hardy Boys doing here? <laughs> this is not Triple X after him either. God damn it. But, I mean, no, libraries present an important thing. I mean, my dad, you know, he's 60. And he still goes to the library. He gets books and he gets audio tapes from when he was growing up and stuff like that. And audio that shows. was key. Actually, what was funny was a little bit of uh, one more tangent. Yeah. Uh, when I was in first grade, the teacher actually had us write stories, and then those stories would then be bound and put and on a shelf so the other kids could check well, out wait, your wait. stories. You, you had, they had there was bounding back in a prehistoric era. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you know, you, 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 it was with the fish bones, and you okay. kind of wrap it around, kind of thing. seaweed, wrap it up. Exactly. And you you use what you have, basically. Oh, okay. So and you, and what was funny is, well, and the well, reason I'm telling this story, well, well, I'm getting through to people here is James is an old fuck. Yes, pretty much. Uh, the gray, <laughs> the gray is really starting to come in. <laughs> but what what well, the reason I'm telling you the story, it does it is relatable, is that in first grade I was writing. I'm not even kidding. Transformers fan fiction. <laughs> Illustrated and written by James Witham, by the way. So, well, just thank God you weren't writing Transformers Erotica. Oh, that that would be bad. Especially in first grade, because I would have not known anything. It would have been weird. Twas then Optimus Prime saw her from across the room, and he decided that she needed his allspark. <laughs> oil can, oil can. <laughs> Not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, overall, this is a great thing. This is a great, great thing for DC to be doing. What was again. the thing again? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> we go from... Oh, wait, let's just talk about this. We went from... Okay, we went from how Alpha 5 will give me nightmares, but I think that the new look is, is great and, and is okay, to Transformers Erotica. That's that's a hell of a one. Not only that, but Transformers Erotica that was written by a second grade elementary school taught James Witham. So many hashtags. <laughs> so many. So many hashtags. <laughs> Hashtag eroticons. Oh. <laughs> oh boy, that's definitely more than meets the eye right there. I'm just picturing somebody, okay, like like somebody sitting somewhere. Like the creator of BronyCon, for example, is thinking, there's a new con idea. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not a good idea. <laughs> well, do be, not do that. <laughs> but you know what would be a great idea is, of course, talk to the writer of Mask from IDW. He's coming up yes. next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Slip hazards everywhere. This is comic book writer Jackson Landon, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. On the heels of Revolution, one thing that Nick and I were so excited about, even before Revolution, when we found out that Mask, the Mobile Armored Strike Command, was finally going to get their own series, and we're really excited now because we've got the writer for that series, Brandon Easton. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Now, I always loved Mask growing up. It was just part of my childhood, and but you know, it's not as well known as... G.I. Joe and Transformers. Right. I know you've worked on some Transformers stuff. You worked on Agent Carter, which is pretty well known as well. So mm-hmm. do you feel like that kind of gave you more freedom to put your own personal touch on these characters because not everybody from every generation was familiar with this? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if my 
professional background allowed me to get a little bit more freedom and leeway. But I will say, I think just IDW and Hasbro right now are looking for a way for all these older non-Transformers and non-G.I. Joe properties to reconnect with an audience and actually build a brand new audience. So with that in mind, I definitely wanted to approach it with a 21st century mindset because I'm part of that generation that actually watched Mass in first run. And I can remember during the time period, which was like, you know, 87, 88, 89, that was right around the time Transformers was kind of dying off. Uh, G.I. Joe had already kind of went into oblivion in a way. They had like those that weird reboot where Cobra Commander turned back from a snake into uh, it was it was weird. So there was a weird time when a lot of action adventure toy property cartoon shows were phased out for the Disney stuff like, you know, DuckTales and Darkwing Duck and all that and uh, gummy bears, like all that stuff kind of where I grew up at. All that stuff, all the Disney cartoons replaced all the action yep. cartoons. Like you know, so Mass kind of hit at a time when transformable vehicles and military action was starting to phase out a little bit. So I think that's why it didn't take off the on a level that it should. I feel that Mask, if it had hit two years earlier, like maybe eighty five, eighty six at the height of Transformers, at the height of G.I. Joe, I think you would have had a different reaction in the marketplace. But, yeah, I just feel like Mass kind of missed the boat by, like, one year or maybe 18 months. So, it, it, you know, it had an impact because I know that people in my neighborhood, including myself, we watched it. Uh, not everybody could afford the toys, but there was definitely a feeling that this was a really cool property. But it... We were, we were starting to get too old to play with those. You know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I hear that. It was a thing where it was like, you know, at this point, high school was there. And, you know, Mask wasn't something that was cool. Like, you could maybe get away, maybe get away with Robotech or Voltron or right. Transformers. Right. But you could not get away with Mask. Let's, not, let's see you didn't have your GoBots out there, Brandon. No, 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 no GoBots. <laughs> uh, I cut that out. You know, the funny thing was, I remember uh, GoBots and Transformers coming out roughly the same time i think gobots edged them by a couple of months yeah and i feel like you know i really liked the gobots until transformers came and i was like nope i'm not watching gobots ever again the transformers visually was just more sophisticated i like how gobots people treat the gobots as if like they're that that child you keep chained in the basement that nobody's not supposed to know of (laughs) (laughs) wasn't exactly coke versus pepsi no you know the, the sad thing is that gobots if packaged properly could have hung around but if they would have went younger younger than they already skewed because it was a tonka i think tonka made gobots yeah and if they would have skewed younger and made more like destructible toys that you know because i had tonka trucks that we would throw off my roof and they were (laughs) (laughs) but gobots were such cheap plastic toys that transformers were made not all of them but the first run of transformers were made out of metal yep so you know, you had die-cast metal versus extremely cheap plastic. I mean, the, and the GoBots visual design, particularly in the toys, were nowhere near as cool as what Optimus and Megatron and mm-hmm. Starscream and the gang look like. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't get me started on that stuff. I could I talk about Transformers <laughs> and all that stuff all night long. 
So, Brandon, you know, we mentioned Mask is this franchise that was in the 80s. Now, I was born in 88, so I missed the boat right. on Mask. So, right. you know, here's the thing. This is a, a comic series that's coming out now in 2016. There's a lot of people like myself who grew up in the 90s who didn't know what Mask wa- was. So what kind of experience do you want to give the people like myself who are new to the franchise? Well, that's – I mean, dude, that's a fantastic question too. Uh, this, is a, this is a good one. I, I like this show, guys. You, you got good questions, man. Yeah, Sometimes I can ask ridiculous questions. I'm like, did you really even think about this? But no, you, <laughs> this, is, this is good, man. I like this. Uh, the best way to say it is this way, right? If you, if you watch it now as an adult, and they got the entire run on YouTube for free somewhere on YouTube. Uh, you will notice very quickly that it's not the most sophisticated cartoon. Uh, the voice acting is not great. The music's pretty cool. But when it comes down to storyline and just a general viewing experience, it's not it's not really fun to watch after a while. Like you watch three or four episodes and you pretty much got the entire run. So what I wanted to do was get the mass concept into what people are into now. So I use the Fast and the Furious franchise as an example, as an exemplar for how masks should work in the 21st century. And considering the fact that it has to fit into the Hasbro uh, universe with G.I. Joe and Transformers, I needed to come up with a thing that would make it make sense, make it logical for them to exist in that world. So we came up with this like weird little backstory, which I'm not going to reveal quite yet. But I feel that I'd like a viewer or reader who did not grow up with it, who who was not there when it first came onto the scene, I would like a person like that to not have to think about the original show too much and just concentrate on the fact that you have this multi-ethnic, technologically sophisticated strike force based on Cybertronian technology. That is running around in a world where giant robots and Cobra exist. So you've got to have it fit into that. So I'm more concerned with the 21st century version and vision of superhero and military action than anything that came in the past. So what I want people to do is divorce themselves from any ideas and any feeling of nostalgia about the 80s cartoon and look at what we have here. In a lot of ways... and I hate to always use Transformers, but that this is a good example. Or even Mobile Suit Gundam, the Japanese, you know, super uh, giant robot franchise or mecha franchise. You know, those franchises adapt with the generations that passed. That passed, I should say. So early Transformers is nothing like current Transformers. Right, you know, in right. terms of the new cartoons. And same thing with Mobile Suit Gundam. The original Gundam storyline is still around, but even visually and dynamically there are things about it that can't be like it was in 1979 or 1983 when in 84, 85, when all the different Gundam series were on in, in the original timeline. So I feel that Mask is pretty much the same thing. I don't want – like Mask doesn't have that impact where people would sit there and get mad because you changed something. Right. And there, and there were a couple people who didn't like the changes I made, but there are a lot of folks who have a passing familiarity with it who are like, wow, I never thought – this would work in the 21st century, you know? So I've liked those reviews and those are the people I think are getting what I'm doing. I feel that after a few issues go by, some of the people who are complaining about the fact that it's not like the eighties cartoon will understand that if I did it like the eighties cartoon, 
I don't think it would be successful at all. And I think that readers – and here's the other problem, and this is something that I talk about ad nauseum and on my podcast, is that we are living in an extremely entitled fan age in the sense that fans nowadays have everything they've ever wanted, anytime they ever want it, anywhere they ever want it. Like when I was a kid and I grew up in the 80s, I was born in the 70s, I didn't have any of this stuff. Like right. if I wanted to watch anything, I had to wait till it came on. And that was it. Like, you, there was no DVR. There was no streaming. I mean, that wasn't even a thing that I could even conceive of back in 84, 85. Right. And, and, and know, even in the 90s, you know, when I was growing yeah. up, we had the VH. If we missed the show, we had the VHS tapes that had, like, two episodes per right. tape on it, you know? <laughs> that cost $35. Right. Exactly. <laughs> at, Sunk, at Suncoast Video. Yeah, you, oh. and I, you and I are about the same age, Brandon. And, yeah, it was hell. It was right. hell. But see, the thing is, we didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, right, so, exactly. now, so now I look at all these whining, angry, fan, entitled, cynical, mean-spirited fanboys online, and I'm like, what are you whining about? Like, if you don't like all the stuff that's out there, there's something wrong. Like, if you don't like this one thing, there's like 15,000 things that we ha- that you haven't right, seen. Right. And I'm not <laughs> kidding. It's literally 15,000 different properties and TV shows and cartoons. And, I mean, you, you could literally – and I, I, I wouldn't suggest this, but you could, you could get a life sentence in prison and never watch the same thing twice. That's true. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Like, like, you could be, like, if you get a 50-year sentence, let's say, you could literally watch something new every day, all day, all the way up to the time either you died or you got paroled. Right. And it's, like, it's, like, he, it's like Netflix and Serve. I mean, dude, I mean seriously, like... When I look at Netflix, right, first of all, I just look at the stuff that's on TV that I like. There's at least, and I'm not kidding, like nearly 30 shows that I would like to watch regularly. But there's no way. And this is just broadcast and cable. I'm not even talking about streaming. Like there's like 30 shows that I would love to be able to sit down and enjoy. But the realities of life mean that I can't do that. Right. So I am very grateful for the age that we live in that if I want to watch Arrow – and I'm on a plane, 35,000 feet in the air. I can watch Arrow yep. for the entire flight. Or I could watch Mobile Suit Gundam. Or I could watch Transformers Combiner Wars. Or I could watch uh, How to Get Away with Murder. I mean, there's all these things I could do and never be upset or complaining. So I feel that right now um, I'd like mass fans, particularly the old school mass fans, to give it a chance and take and, and and back off of the nostalgia a little bit, and realize that a lot of us, particularly children of the '80s, look back at the '80s through rose-colored glasses because there was a lot of stuff that we think is cool that is nowhere near as cool as. as oh, yes. yeah. oh, oh yes! Oh yeah! Yes. You know what I mean? So when you look at it from that perspective, I feel that some mass fans look at the show and think, "Oh, it was this incredible thing," and I'm like, "All right, if you really think that." Go on YouTube or go anywhere and watch the first five, six episodes of Mass and tell me if a 35-year-old man could watch that in public and not put his hands in his uh, lap, put his head in his lap. Because I I tried watching it, and I I was at home alone, and I felt embarrassed. So (laughs) 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 I can't watch this anymore. 
<laughs> wow. Well, I, I got to say, Brandon, one of the things that, that I think you've, you've done so well with this series is Miles Mayhem. And I always kind of felt, even back then, that Miles Mayhem was probably one of the most evil villains, especially in the Hasbro world, just because of all the things that go into him. So do you agree with that? And just how far will he go in this new series? Ooh, boy. Uh, I can't. <laughs> well, I'll say this much. He's not going to be uh, – I'll say this, okay, without ruining anything. He, his goal is not really to hurt everybody. He's not trying to like put – I mean I'm not – and I'm not making light of this, but he's not trying to put people in concentration camps. He's not trying to like you know execute whole populations. He's not trying to commit genocide. That's not his goal. His goal overall is to first eradicate Cybertronian life and then use the carcasses – of Cybertronian life to create an empire on this planet based on his weapons um, manufacturing and distribution. So that's step one of his plan. Uh, in doing that kind of thing, being a weapons trader and manufacturer, you cannot be a, a crazed sociopathic, you know, genocidal maniac because mm -hmm. you, you need customers. And in order to have customers, people have to live. You have to have wars. And in order to have wars, you have to have populations. So he's not necessarily committed to killing people, although he, you know, and by extension, he, that's what he does. But he's more concerned about his financial bottom line at first. Then things will change as the series progresses and as other elements kick in from the uh, shared uh, Hasbro universe at IDW, his goals and perspectives will start to get a little bit bigger. But from out the gate, He's more concerned with making money and building a weapons trading empire based on Cybertronian technology. That's where he starts. He, he's going to be pretty nasty, though, because he doesn't really believe that most people around him are as intelligent or as strong as he is. Right. Right. So that is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. And I'll leave it at that. And so on the first page of the first issue, Matt Tracker, you know, highlights the events of Revolution, which of course was yeah. a crossover that, you know, precedes the, the series, and he talks about its cost and what it ha has happened to the Max team. So how much of what happened during that crossover will have an effect on him mentally as the series progresses? And the thing that's interesting is his age. Like, this is all happened to him when he's like in his, it appears to be his early 20s. Early 20s, yep. Okay, uh, let's see. What I want to do with Matt Tracker, now what they did with him in Revolution is a little bit different than where I'm going with it, in the sense right. that I didn't I didn't write the mask parts of you know Revolution. That was Cullen and John. Yep. Barber, you know, Cullen Bond and John Barber. So they had kind of a massive like mandate. They had a lot of work to do and I think they pulled it off. However, their rendition of Tracker is a little bit like younger in sense in terms of emotionally than where I, where I'm going with it. So yes, he's going to have to deal with the repercussions of learning about his father, Cornelius Tracker, and what Cornelius had to do with the invention of the mass technology itself, as well as his past dealings with Miles Mannheim, soon to be you know Miles Mayhem. So emotionally. He's going to be starting off in a place where he's going to learn what happened to his dad and then want to find out more about uh, General Mayhem's connection to that. That's the first story arc. 
as we get into issues six, seven and further on, you're going to see him get a lot more confident. And I'd say by well, by the second year, by like issue 13 and 14, he's going to be a lot more like Cyclops from the X-Men, like the 80s version, more so than, you know, the current Cyclops, who's like a villain. But he's going to be very strong. He's going to be the person that they all look to. And he's going to have always a plan B to get out. But right now, you know, because what I I want people to do, and you know, in in this sense, like right now, I want him to be the guy who's thrown into the situation and he's learning as he goes. One of the things I hate about a lot of superhero comics is that you put somebody in an extraordinary situation and they behave as, as if, though, they always had this ability to deal with this. And that's not how the real world works. Mm-hmm. That's not how military veterans, you know, like I have family who are in the military, right? They told me the first time a bullet was fired at them, they completely lost it. Like They were like, all that training goes out the window when you're under fire, right? So uh, Matt is going to be kind of not, he's not going to be like spineless or he's not going to fall apart. But he's going to be like making huge mistakes early on. He's going to rush in when he should have probably waited. He's going to give the wrong order. He's not going to have complete faith in all of his uh, colleagues quite yet because that's where you begin. It's like starting at a brand new job. Do you know everything? Do you know how people really are? Do you know who the person you can't trust is yet? No, that takes a little bit of time. And that's what I'm doing with this. And I would hope that people could be patient because one thing this is going back to fan entitlement i feel like people want everything explained in one issue nowadays and i'm like you know this is an ongoing series like you'd be lucky to get all your answers by issue four so <laughs> right right, right. Like, please like let it like i remember reading marvel in the 80s where they used to do like storylines that would last four or five years you know, and sometimes longer than that. And you're sitting there like, I mean, for example, Wolverine's origin, they they dragged that out for 30 years. Right. Yep. Literally. The Hobgoblin, who, you know, Spider-Man villain, who uh, they, they dragged his uh, uh, his true or his true identity out for 15, almost 20 years of my lifetime. You know, and I'm like, you know, and, and now you read one issue and fans can't wait one, like can't wait 25 more days. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> It's like, oh, well, you, I look at, I shouldn't, but I look at all the reviews of my work and then people were complaining like, well, you know, I gave it a chance, but, you know, I'm not seeing any vehicles and where's Venom. And I'm like, guys, you you realize we've got a long way to go. (laughs) So just relax, take it easy and just give me a shot. Just give me a benefit of the doubt. If you don't like it after three or four issues, I accept that. But just, you know, like relax take a deep breath and 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 look at where we're going with this because i think people will be happy when they get to the end of issue two particularly people who want vehicle based action there you go now brandon we were talking to writer brandon easton of mask mobile armored strike command number one which is available now at your local shops and at idwpublishing.com speaking of the vehicles brandon i gotta ask you you could have one of the masks or one of the cars but not both what do you choose Oh, that's easy. I would love the Spectrum mask because that mask not only can uh, read and identify everything on the electromagnetic spectrum, but you can also fire beams and you can also levitate. I don't need those vehicles if I have that mask. Thank you. I could do, I mean, the things I'm going to do with Matt 
and that and the spectrum mask is going to be really cool because I'm going to really get into the physics of it and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think that spectrum mask is it, well I'm not going to ruin anything, but that mask is really awesome and it's really important and I think that <laughs> I think people are going to be really uh I think people are going to enjoy some of the really cool visual effects we've pulled off in the comic from um from that spectrum mask. I'm 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 just going to keep it at that. And Brandy, you know, again, if you were a part of Mask, what's one type of mission you like to go on, and which member of the team would you take with you? You can only take one member. Ooh, that's rough. Wow. I mean, for me, I would love to do some kind of humanitarian mission to help people who are really suffering somewhere in the world, maybe like Syria or certain parts of South America, certain parts of Central Africa. I would probably try to do something that would help with irrigation efforts. Like bringing water, clean water. I mean, we could yeah. do that here in Flint, Michigan, for Good God's call. sake. Good call. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, it's a that's what it's about. Like, I feel that if you have that power, you should try to enhance the quality of other people's lives. And I would definitely go into some war-torn region to try to, try to bring stability and save the lives of children who are horribly exploited in those type of environments. And I don't know who I would take. I mean, if I could take... I mean, Brad Turner, Eclipse would be awesome, but I don't know how good holograms would come into play in those type of environments unless we were doing a direct battle mission. Otherwise, I might take Julio with the Gulliver mask so that he could, um, you know, make things larger and smaller to help us with construction and also offense and defense. So it'd probably be me and Julio with our vehicles, and we would go in first. To help stabilize the area and then use our technology to like rebuild very simple things like clean water supplies and sewage things that people need just to like live you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah definitely that's that sounds like a great idea now one of the things that idw has done with these new hasbro comics and with this one as well is give the readers a ton of variant covers. So talk about some of the great variants for the first issue, and there's a lot of them. And are there other great artists that are kind of lined up for future issues? You know, I, you know, the funny thing about that is that I'm not 100% um, aware of all the artists because from what I understand, um, some of the editorial folks, some people in IDW editorial put out a call for people to submit their, you know, mask you know, in, in interpretations, you know, so apparently they got hit with a dilute, like they got, you know, like a, like a tidal wave of submissions and they have chosen quite a few of those. I've not seen many of them, so I, I don't know. However, in terms of some of the mass, I mean, sorry, mass, I'm sorry. In terms of some of the covers I really enjoyed, um, I really liked the Andrew Griffith, uh, diamond uh, UK version. It's like the, the British retailer one. It's the black and white one with the profile shot of the team. Yeah, um, I love that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. The Paul Pope cover with Brad on it on the motorcycle is in- intense. It's beautiful. Um, I really enjoy the one by uh, Sonny Liu. It looks like a, a propaganda poster almost. Um, it has the um, mat in the middle and... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. one's cool. And, of course, I mean, I like the main two, the regular cover and the subscription cover, because Tommy Lee Edwards and um, Joe Suter. What's his name? Is it Joe, yeah, Joe Suter. No, you got it. You got it. You're right. Yeah. They did amazing work. But to be absolutely honest, all those covers are awesome. 
like they went above and beyond what I would imagine that book would look like. And issue two cover is so nice by Tommy Lee Edwards. I mean, you, you, these covers are they're so beautiful. I can't wait for folks to see what this is going to look like, and it, it, it's it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And you know, Brandon, while we're talking about the art, one of the many things I love about this first issue, I know a thing I'm going to love about the entire series as well, is how detailed and colorful the artwork is. So what are some things Tony Vargas and Jordi Esquin have impressed you with the most so far? Oh, well, starting with Tony. Tony had done, he did, he did some action sequences for issue two. That when I was writing them, I was like, maybe I'm not describing them properly. So what I, one of the things I do in my scripts is I provide a lot of visual reference. I'll even put YouTube links in for action sequences so they can get an idea of what I'd like to see. And there's a great battle between Thunderhawk and Switchblade, which I've put up a couple of you know uh, teaser uh, panels from on my Facebook and uh, Twitter feeds and even on my Instagram. And I'll tell you, he just blew my mind with how beautiful he made those vehicles look and then how he gave them a sense of weight and aerodynamicism or whatever whatever aerodynamics whatever that word would be uh that i didn't imagine he could pull off and he pulled it off and one of the things that the colorist jordy did is in issue one i think it's on page seven when julio and the gang are hiding behind a hologram Mm-hmm. And yep, yep. I know Julio sticks his yeah Julio sticks his head out and you get a distortion pattern, and I didn't think he was going to be able to pull that off. And he and they both pulled it off on such a level, I was completely blown away by it. And then there's a shot with uh, General uh, Mayhem where his mask is sitting on his desk and there's like this uh, yellowish glow around. Yes, it. oh yeah. And to me, that was one of the most beautiful images I, 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 I've ever seen. Straight up, I was sitting there like I've read maybe hundreds of thousands of comics, maybe even millions of comics in my life. And that was one of the standout panels that I've, I've seen. And the fact that I wrote that, you know, it makes me very happy. So uh, it, it, it played out very well and I really enjoyed it. And um, they have just, they've risen to the challenge visually of everything that I wanted to see in the comic. And that's the God honest truth. Well, if you're looking forward to seeing more, and, and you should be after this, Mask Number 1 is available at your local comic shops right now. Also at IDWPublishing.com, you will be able to get your hands on Issue 2 before the end of the year. Make sure you do that as well. It's Brandon Easton, writer of the Mobile Armored Strike Command. Thanks so much for joining us this week, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You guys rock. So, James, we all know how Miles Mayhem feels about Cybertronians. Well, now we know how Brandon Easton feels about Entitled Nerds. Is this not validation for, like, things we've been saying for almost the last three years now? <laughs> right. right, exactly, man. And again, you know, if you're if you're somebody who grew up watching Mask, and again, you have to realize that times change, writing styles change, art changes, and again, as somebody who hasn't, I told Brandis off the air, I said, you know, somebody who hasn't grown up with Mask, somebody who doesn't know really anything up until Revolution about Mask, he's done a wonderful job. And when you read issue one, you see where he ends it and how he ends it, it tells you everything you need to know, especially if you're for the, a beginner, somebody who's just getting into this. And, you know, you yourself, you're somebody who grew up with Mask and 
fire in the wheel. So, I mean, well, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you look at that, and even yourself said, this is this is great. This is a great, great transition, a great move. I don't see what the complaint is here. I mean, you're giving, he's giving us everything we want, everything you loved about the show. You, your, your love of, the, of Mask is not in the vacuum of right. that animated series, or even the old comics, used to be, which I have, actually. I have a couple of the old comics. It's not in that. It's in the characters and the vehicles and, and you know, Mask versus Venom kind of thing. To me, it's in that. And what he's done with that makes me, as a fan who always wanted this to be more than it was, like he was saying... It makes me go, yes, finally, somebody cares enough to do this the right way. Exactly. And, and again, you look at this series and what he's doing with it. And again, just props to, to, to the art crew on this series because they've just done a wonderful job. Because, you know, honestly, I think not since Power Girls have I seen a lot of not enough color in comics, you know. And like, Tony Vargas is awesome anyway. So yeah. That, that helps out. Him and, and Jordy as well, just a fantastic job. And the, again, the art's detailed as hell. You know, the, the, the armor looks fantastic. The masks look great, especially when they're using them and stuff. But again, overall, this is a series you have to get. And we've said it before. We say it again. This is another home run for IDW. Ever since mm-hmm. they announced, hey, we're having this revolution line. We're having this this series and this is what's going to spawn off of it and everything else with the Hasbro properties they've just handled this perfectly they put creative teams together that really get the products that really understand them and for the most part understand that it's 2016 almost 2017 we need to head into a different way how can we you know breathe these things for the new generation of fans or readers. One of the most ambitious projects of 2016 was what IDW did with their Hasbro universe. And I hope that the film people are paying attention that want to do the same exact thing. I hope you're paying attention because, guys, this is how we want it done. This is how we want this on the screen. Not like a direct shot for shot right out of these comics. Not that that would be a bad thing. I'd take that in a heartbeat. But this is what we want. Give us these kinds of ideas because IDW might end up doing it better than the screen folks did. Right. Who knows what this might spawn off into TV shows or movies or exactly. whatnot. Exactly. But speaking of things we want, we want you to follow us on social media. Just go to Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. We're right there for you. Just hit the like button. Also, we're on Twitter at Down and Nerdy 757. I'm at Merck with one arm on Twitter and Instagram. The one is spelled out, Mr. Witham. Where can they find you on the website with the bird? I am on the Twitter as well. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. If you're thinking, I can't remember that. That's too hard to spell. This is, I mean, will the one spelled out? What are you talking about? You go to downnerdypodcast.com and you find, you got our bios up there. You can follow us on Twitter and all that good stuff. And Nick on Instagram as well at Work With One Arm. You can follow him there as well. And the comic book reviews, you want to read my review of Mask Number One? Right. It's on our and website. What is your review to this week? I reviewed Revolution Number Five, so we did a double so D IDW this week. There you go. So why not? All at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.